Good morning. I want to welcome you to worship. I'm glad that you're all here. Uh, I'm Pastor Jeff Gassman, and this is St. John's United Methodist Church here in Davenport, Iowa. And if you're uh, joining us online, we're glad that you're with us as well. If you're new today, I want to say thank you for joining us. Uh, if you're new online, uh, welcome. You can let us know on our website, or there's a link uh, beside where you uh, signed in that you could uh, just give us your name and tell us that you're here. And the beginning of the Gospels have Jesus being introduced, the mission of Christ uh, kind of opening to the towns and the villages that Jesus, is, Jesus went to. And, and so we continue in, in that theme this morning. Prepare your hearts for worship now as we uh, just have a gentle beginning with music. Heavenly Father, correct our vision so that we can see what you see. Let us not allow favoritism to affect our actions. Jesus, shine your light in the dark places of our lives. May the light of the cross help us see what God sees. Forgive us for looking at others and not seeing their loneliness. Forgive us for seeing a neighbor but not understanding their need. Jesus, shine your light in the dark places of this town. In fact, we pray that you would shine all over this city. Forgive us, O oh God, for those times we judge other person as one worthy of your grace and mercy, because they are not like us. Jesus, shine your light on the path before us, and may the cross of Christ help us see what God sees. We know that your word is a light for our path. With your help, we can become more than we are. Jesus, help us look at others and not see status or rank. Help us to see past economic barriers to the potential for faith you plant in the heart of each person. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, 
For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In the Old Testament, there are some uh, common questions that are just kind of hidden, tucked underneath the accounts of God reaching into history of, of God's people, uh, you know, exploring what is this faith. And, and one of those questions uh, seems to be, who is God anyway? Uh, God starts out with Abraham, and it's kind of an unknown relationship. And then God uh, appears to Moses and although God calls Abraham and God calls Moses, they have some really, you know, specific questions, you know, what, and wonderings, what, you know, what is involved in this relationship with God? And, and as uh, God begins to use Moses to deliver his people from slavery, Moses confronts the king. Uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh and, and says, uh, the God of our ancestors says, let us go. And Pharaoh has the same question, who is this God that I should obey Him? And so whether you're for God or against God, that seems to be the, the question that everybody is asking. Even the Hebrew slaves themselves are like, who is this God that would challenge the king? Who is this God that asks us to bend the knee and submit to Him alone? That's a very... Uh, reoccurring question from the beginning all through the prophets and God's people also end up uh, stuck at that question from time to time. Why should we bend the knee to God? So here in Matthew's gospel, it continues, only it takes a little different form, and, and I can imagine that the question becomes, who is this Jesus who claims to be God's son? Who is this Jesus? Is he God? Is he human? Is he half and half or fully divine and fully human? And that becomes the question then of the early church, the Apostles' Creed that we just shared uh, during baptism, seeking to answer who was Jesus and, and why did he come? So a part of uh, Matthew's introduction, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew is, is introducing Jesus to us, is uh, opening, here's his mission, and this is what his ministry is going to look like. And, and this passage in particular uh, gives us a little sense of, of just that, that spiritual battle that's also happening behind the scenes. And it's set in the midst of a temptation account so the previous chapter of Matthew, there's this grand presentation. The Messiah comes to the Jordan River, and John the Baptist declares, this is the one. Jesus is baptized. The voice of God sounds from the sky, and there's this uh, glorious high moment. 
And, and Jesus is launched into his mission and ministry. And then Jesus is led by the Spirit and goes out. And, and we could imagine that, that it would be the beginning of a, a grand preaching tour. It, it, the next chapter should be, and Jesus did miracles and signs from village to village all over the countryside, from sea to sea. But that's not what Matthew says. Uh, there's a high point, and then it says Jesus is led by the Spirit into the desert, and it becomes a time of testing. And Matthew tells us the tempter came. And he kind of sets the scene, and he says, for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus went without eating. And, and if we think Matthew, he's writing to a Jewish set of readers Matthew is, is wanting to, to reach back and, and kind of connect Jesus with what God has done before. Uh, last week I talked about how the New Testament kind of steps into the stream of what God is doing and what God has done. And, and if you think of, of just this ongoing God's unfolding plan, working in history, calling people into relationship, John the Baptist is a sign that, that God's stirring up something new and when Jesus steps into the river, he's kind of stepping into the stream of what has happened and what is happening. And so Matthew wants to solidify that connection a little more. And numbers mean things. Sometimes it's, it's a playful thing. Sometimes it's a, a, a hidden thing. And so when you hear 40 days and 40 nights, what do you go back to? So I heard Noah. So, so Noah, 40 days and 40 nights, it rained. Are, are there any other 40s? So Mo Moses was 40 years in the desert wandering alone with sheep. And then Moses and God's people, when they left slavery in Egypt, they, they were wandering for 40 years in the desert trying to figure out, um, do we really have to bend the knee to this God? Can we submit to God? What does God want? And I found one other. Um, there's more, but, but one other one that was kind of curious, that when Goliath makes it into the Bible, the story of Goliath, he's standing before the army of Israel for 40 days. And every day he came and he taunted the men of God. He taunted them and he mocked them and he, and he diminished the name of God. And as you think about the, what 40 days and 40 nights represents in the Old Testament, it seems to be symbolic of times of struggle. And Matthew would want us to know that Jesus didn't get to opt out of struggle. Forty years would be a season of difficulty, and for God's people in the wilderness, it was a time of testing. And so when we hear 40, 40 days and 40 nights, or 40 anything, the Bible says this is the setting in which there's a test about to unfold. Jesus is moving from just the, the formative years. He's 30, and let's just imagine that maybe he's finally graduated and his ministry is going public. And, and when graduation happens, what do you have to do after grad school? Often there's a really big test, right? There, there's board exams. There's a certification exam. There, there's all these things that you've got to pass before you get to do what you really want to do. And, and, and Matthew sets it up like this is Jesus' board exam, his bar exam, his uh, certification, if you will. 
Matthew and Luke tells this story, and they want us to see how did Jesus do. And I hold this up to us as a story of how do we resist temptation. The tempter comes, and Luke says Jesus was tempted for 40 days. Matthew says he fasted for 40 days, and then the questions came. And the tempter begins with hunger. Forty days and forty nights is a long time to go without food, and, and it's kind of couched in the terms of, you know, if you're really the Son of God, prove it. And that was a question that, that would also come later in Jesus' ministry, even from the Jewish leaders. If you're really God's Son, give us a sign. You, it, it's kind of like the devil is saying, if you're God's Son, you've probably got some special powers in there somewhere Today would be a good day to use them. And he just says, you've been really hungry for a long time. Why walk all the way back to town? You could make some bread out of, out of the rocks. Make bread. We think of the temptation here of hunger, and I would want to put it into this term, our appetites. Our human, it's really the human side of who Jesus is. We all have appetites. And it's not just for food. And so the question to us becomes, do we always give in to our appetites? Should we always give in to appetites? And Jesus responds in a way that kind of communicates that my priority need here is not physical bread, but God. That sometimes temptation is intended to derail us from the purpose of God to trivial things. And if you're hungry, uh, bread isn't all that trivial. But here Jesus sets it aside, and he says, I'm, I'm focused in a different way. When it comes to responding to temptation, uh, I would say how we control our impulses is an important thing. In the 1960s, Stanford University uh, conducted a, a series of experiments with four-year-olds, and it was called the Marshmallow Experiment. Anybody ever seen this? Um, those of you that are not here, those that are online, you could Google Marshmallow Experiment, and it's about a four-minute uh, video. It's become a classic, and there's probably about 26 different versions uh, of what happens. But the essence of it was um, a four-year-old was brought into a room with a table and, and kind of like a candid camera. There's a camera, and you see the marshmallow on the table, and, and the little uh, boy, little girl, is told, um, if you can wait until I come back, I'll give you a second marshmallow. If you are having trouble waiting, there's a bell, and if you ring the bell, I'll come right in, but you won't get a second marshmallow, but I'll just come in. And uh, some children made it the 15 minutes, and some didn't. The video, the video shows the struggle of, you know, they're, they're smelling it, they're licking it, they're feeling it, and, and trying to, you know, not eat it, and, and, but then you see the one little girl, the, the, the adult sets the marshmallow there, and as she goes out, the little girl just goes and eats it, and then stands up with her empty plate, and, it, and it's over. But, but one little boy 
And he wasn't the only one that succeeded, but at the end of the time, she comes in and she says, how'd you do? And, and he's just like, oh, this has been so hard. And, and then she hands him a second marshmallow and, and says, you can enjoy. And it just, boom, both go right in the mouth. So 40 years later, uh, a, a young, uh, okay, 44, maybe young or old, depending on where you're at, in life, but uh, Carolyn was interviewed. She was one of those four-year-olds that came into the, the little game room at Stanford University and, and was uh, presented, can you wait? Here's a marshmallow. If you wait, I'll give you two. She says later as an adult, um, I, I really don't remember this moment at all. Uh, I do know I like marshmallows, and, and I probably would have really struggled with not eating it, and her mom was included, and she said, you know, Carolyn, as a young child, was very patient, uh, very self-disciplined. She probably made it fine. She had an older brother that was one year older named Craig, and he says, you know, I didn't do fine. I remember the struggle. I remember the marshmallow, and it was just wrong. You know, he said, I realized I'm all alone. What does it matter? And he just ate it. But she said, I, I didn't. I waited. In the videos, uh, some of the kids try all kinds of ways to avoid the draw of the marshmallow. Some kicked the dust, some pulled on their pigtails, some closed their eyes, uh, some stroked the marshmallow like it was just a little stuffed toy, uh, all of them trying to uh, avoid crossing that line. The initial experiment was innocent and cute. But as the researchers followed uh, these children into adulthood, they noticed some differences that uh, began to distinguish themselves in the, the two sets of kids, those who could wait and those who couldn't wait, that delayed gratification is an important quality of becoming an adult. We don't get everything we want in the moment, always. And when we can wait, there are good things that come to those who can wait. This experiment, while innocent, opened uh, the researchers' eyes to just the development that uh, is supposed to happen in us, and it's all about impulse control. Not just kids today wrestle with impulse control. We all do at all ages. And it's not just about eating, but you have spending and talking and arguing and um, when we get into a, a debate, there's always uh, that point where you, you know, is, is your amygdala going to fire or is it going to go through your brain? And you think about what you're going to say. That's a part of impulse control. The amygdala is the part of our brain. You, you have an impulse and you just charge, you blow up, you go off. Our brain, the front part of our brain, is where you measure what you're going to do next. You measure your response. And Christianity invites us to, to practice self-control, to put that in place and not just dive in after temptation, not just go after whatever the impulse that's drawing you says. So let's go back and, and see what else Jesus was wrestling with in this passage. The second temptation comes, uh, if you're God's son... He's standing on the pinnacle of the temple. The devil says, you know, you could, 
you could make quite a presentation here. You could jump off. And the Psalms say that, that God's angels are, are going to catch you so that you wouldn't injure your toe. You wouldn't even stub your toe. You know, the devil knows Scripture, and he tries responding as Jesus responded to him. And Jesus says, the Bible also says, you shall not put God to the test. And maybe we would say a foolish test. Because there are other times God says, test me. Invite me to, to prove myself in your moment of need. But here the, the devil is saying, Let, let's just try it out and, and see what happens and what, a, what an impression that would make in front of everybody at the temple. The next temptation comes. Um, the devil, it, it, I would imagine he, he's maybe saying, you know, um, we, we've got this great clash coming, you and me, darkness against light, and um, we, we could avoid the fight today. I'll just give it to you if you worship me. I'll just hand it all over if you worship me. And Jesus, in a way, is defending the mission that God has given to him. He says, no, it is written, we will worship God alone. And then the devil leaves. Jesus was almost distracted. I mean, the temptations come as a distraction as much as a test. God's mission was not one that would be without struggle and pain. There's a cross coming. And this temptation would have been, you know, we, you don't have to die on a cross. I'll just give it to you. But it would be a lesser accomplishment. Jesus stuck to the mission. The other thing that we see in this story is that temptation sometimes comes after a high point, after a victory. You achieve something and something wonderful happens and you're, you're celebrating and maybe you let down your guard. Or maybe you meet some incredible challenge and, and you pass the test and then there's a little test and we stumble and trip. Or sometimes the test comes when we're tired and we let down our guard. And the temptation comes to pull us off course, to do anything but what God is asking us to do. The tempter doesn't necessarily have a plan. It's just if he can get us to do our own plan instead of God's plan. He's a master of suggesting there's got to be an easier way. Why does God's mission come so difficult? And why is it so steep and so hard just be aware, when, when the whisper comes, it shouldn't be this hard. Maybe that's the tempter at the door. When we think of uh, impulse control and temptation in our culture, in our day, whether it's marshmallows or toys or whatever might be drawing you in, we don't necessarily consider the pause button where, where we would step aside and, and make a measured response. Sometimes we, we watch others pop off and they react, whether in person or in social media, and we join them. And I would just want to lift up that God's way, what Jesus lays out before us, is a, a harder way. It's a narrow way. It's a steeper way. But it's also a better way.
Matthew would have us see that, that temptation will come. It came to God's Son. It's not from God. But it's also not irresistible. Temptation isn't sin. It's a doorway with a choice. So what do your tests look like? What is the, the trial that comes to you? Are you caught in difficulty? Are you struggling with doubt? Are you in a time of suffering? Or maybe it's sickness that's filling your way. Sometimes temptation is an interruption or an interference. And the test of difficulty may present us with a very steep path. But when we think about giving up, a year ago there was a saying that made its way around, um, choose your hard. When I'm presented with giving up, you know, it's hard to keep going, but it's also hard to give up. And I get to choose my hard. It's hard to resist temptation, and it's hard to live with the regrets. And you get to choose your heart. It's hard to choose God's way, but it's also hard to live in brokenness. Choose your heart. And most things that are worthwhile in life are hard. So we pray. The words of the hymn, Come thou fount of every blessing, include the phrase, Jesus, you sought me when I was a stranger wandering from the fold of God. And we know that wandering is often a part of our path, our journey. The hymn also invites that God might bind our wandering hearts to him. Lord, we are so prone to wander, prone to leave the God that loves us and the God that we love and return. And I pray that you would um, find us in our wandering and bring us home. Amen. We have this word from Scripture as we close today. Uh, Jesus is able to empathize with our weaknesses. We have a high priest, it says in Hebrews chapter 4, has been tempted in every way just as we, yet Jesus did not sin. Go and do likewise. May grace and mercy be your strength. May the Holy Spirit be your guide. And may you walk in the way that Jesus sets before you. Amen.